0: To learn more, go to tourpreneur.com slash Google. And as always, show notes, more resources, links to our newsletter, our business coaching community, and so much more are available on tourpreneur.com. Now to the episode.
1: Leadership, not really appreciating the environment we're in. Anybody who says 2022 is going to be better than 2019, you're just not reading the and the smoke signals coming out of that pandemic well enough because none of us really know as we're, we're seeing this winter.
0: Welcome to the Tourpreneur Podcast. Travel industry veteran Shane Whaley will take you on a journey with fellow tourpreneurs, sharing their tips, ideas, insights and success stories to inspire you to make your tour business the best it can be. And now, here is your host, Shane Whaley.
2: Today on Tourpreneur, we hear from three listeners who attended the TIS and arrival at TIS in person event in Seville, Spain. What did they learn and what are they going to do differently in their businesses as a result of attending? Now, TIS is a newer on me, to be honest, so here is the official blurb. Tourism Innovation Summit is aimed to help tourism and travel industry to face all those short and long term challenges. Seville will host again three days of disruptive masterclasses where success stories of travel are going on stage. Digitalization and innovation will be main discussion and plenty of solutions will be presented to the tourism industry to address these challenges. An event to find the right partners to evolve their digital strategies and implement them. A wide variety of technologies will be showcased in order to help tourism businesses become more competitive and more importantly, restart the new ways of travel. So there are many buzzwords in this so we thought it'd be really useful to get the lowdown on this event from three listeners who attended TIS and the Arrival at TIS event. We have two first-time guests on the show today. Please welcome Philippa Lule who is the founder at Portuguese for a Day Tours. We also welcome John French who is the Regional sales manager at redeem.com. And let's welcome back an old friend of our show, Peter Syme, tourpreneur, adventure, strategist, digital transformation expert. Uh, great to have you all back on the show again. Philip, I'm going to start with you because you're a small to medium sized tour operator. What was the attraction of attending this event for you?
3: First of all, thank you so much for having me today. Pleasure. Um, For me, it was the first time that I attended an event of this type. I've been to other types of conferences and like tourism fairs in in mostly in Lisbon. Uh, But for me was the fact that it was the first time that I was gonna attend something that has that had a day specifically for activities and tour operators. Uh, and just just the opportunity and uh, the fact of meeting new people and listening to new perspectives and see what was also happening in in
0: other countries, pretty much.
2: Excellent, John. How about yourself? First time at TIS. What prompted you to go?
0: Yeah. Uh, well, thanks again for having me on. Great, great to be here. Big fan of the of the podcast, Shane. So, um, yeah, same for me. So, I, I've recently joined. Uh, redeemed. So my, my background in travel has been less about the experiences and the things to do sector. So I've been to many airline hotel conferences, and I really wanted to go and learn a little bit about the sector. Uh, it's not too far away from me, just a couple of hours flying. Um, and I thought it'd be a great, uh, great opportunity to meet a few people, do a bit of networking and then, you know, see how it fits in with the wider TIS summit. Uh, pity the arrival was only for a day. Actually, I could have could have spent a few more days there. So hopefully, get a chance in San Diego or, or Berlin.
2: So I was going to ask you all of you. So as I understand it, there was a couple of days of TIS, which was the big main event, and then Arrival had a day dedicated to tours and activities. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, yes. I think it's the second year. So they they uh, you know kudos for them for 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 for, do, for running it last year, presential even during a pandemic. I think they had maybe limited attendees, but it's the second year they've run it. Um and you could flip between sessions. So you could you could stick in the attractions uh forum uh, on on the Thursday or you could go to any of the other uh, kind of verticals that they had on there. they had a, like a hotel tech vertical, they had distribution, they had a few other few other verticals. So it's quite interesting to flip between between the two.
2: And how about you, Peter? Because I understand this is your second event. I know you were at the wine event. In Portugal, correct? A couple of weeks
1: before? Yeah, it was the week before oh, I was in Portugal on a wine tourism event, which is quite strange because I know nothing about wine, but there you go. Uh, the attraction is Seville was, I did intend going last year, but obviously the pandemic uh, got rid of that, so it didn't happen. So I was quite keen to go this year. The attraction, got to be honest, it was in Seville and it's November in Scotland. Therefore, you can work it out. I'm quite happy to be in Seville for a few days. So that was one attraction, but then innovation in the title of the conference, I'm a bit a sucker for any innovation that's going on in the sector, I, I want to be there and learn them what's going on, so the way they were talking the event up hooked me in, uh, and the other reason for my attraction was it was multi, multi, multi-operated, multi-industry sector, so it was across travel, just not tours and activities. Now, obviously, we spend all our time in tours and activities, and that's the area I spend most of my life in. But as the world changes, we are going to have to interact more and more with other parts of the travel industry be that flights, be that accommodation, especially accommodation and transport. So that was the kind of big attraction for me to, to step outside the, the tours and activities bubble a bit and interact with, with other sectors.
2: And for you, did they deliver on the innovation piece?
1: Uh, well, when you go to somewhere called innovation and you've got to print off your pass to get in, it doesn't really get off to the best start, does it? So uh, that was a kind of a wake-up, a wake-up call. Uh, was there innovation there? Yes. There, there not the obviously the the, the job of the, the event hosts are basically just to showcase people there who are innovating. So yeah, I, I met people, I had meetings, I went to presentations. That I would say there was some some innovation going on. Was it mind blowing innovation? Didn't see much of that. Uh, seen a lot of people reinventing the, the past, a lot of people reinventing 2010, 2012, uh, just with a different twist on it, which they couldn't really explain what their USP was, why use their tech compared with somebody else's. So you have to dig quite deep to find what I would say is innovation compared mm. with. Uh, incremental improvement now I've seen lots and lots and lots of incremental improvement on existing technology on existing processes which is all fantastic and is all good because what we have isn't perfect by any means so people are still building people are still improving people are still investing so that was all great but blow me away innovation didn't see that much yeah it wasn't very futuristic right yeah Yeah. no
3: definitely I was also hoping for for more yeah
2: what kind of things were you hoping for, Phil? I mean, what was on your shopping list of things that you wanted to learn by attending Seville?
3: So uh, in in my case, I was looking more for the like more opportunities on self guiding because we, we hear a lot uh, about that, and we are a small tour operator that do. Uh, uh, in-person tours but that is something that we want to have uh, like self-guided tours and uh, a bit more of technology so I was hoping for uh, more technological and more futuristic uh, uh, exhibitors and that was not the case definitely so I agree with Peter, uh, and and the same thing. I mean, even checking some of the websites of the exhibitors, uh, some of them were just in one language, or were marked as unsecure on Google. So that's not that's not innovation.
2: So I obviously wasn't at the event. So just just to ask us, do you do you feel to to all three of you that was because of the pandemic, and a lot of companies didn't exhibit or show up or present, or do you just think that's where we are today as an industry that? the technology isn't evolving, the innovation isn't evolving as fast as it should be.
1: I think that's where we are as an industry and I've got to qualify that by saying I totally understand that because the priority of most CEOs and leadership teams now is recovery and fixing broken balance sheets. Otherwise, they won't be here next year anyway. So as much as I can stand here and shout that we need more innovation and the industry needs to change, the industry won't change if all the companies fail. Therefore, they have to fix the balance sheets first, and they have to start generating cash first. Before, I mean, very few companies are in a position at the moment where they have cash to, to be able to innovate. Mm-hmm. There are some startups mm-hmm. with funding, and there's some listed pop- companies who can obviously raise cash at the drop of a hat. But the vast majority of the industry are focused on fixing the balance sheet and getting back to some sort of normal trading. Therefore, it's really, really difficult to innovate when you've got them sort of pressures on you. So I do expect to see the innovation come from startups more than established businesses, just because established businesses haven't got, or very few of them have the bandwidth to innovate. So it's the startup sector I've been focusing on to see where the, the new innovation and the new ideas are coming from.
2: Mm-hmm. You wrote quite a lengthy post on LinkedIn, which I'll link to into sh- in today's show notes at tourpreneur.com forward slash 164. I think you had... 15 or 16 different takeaways and we haven't got time to go through them all today but i did pick a couple out that intrigued me and i think will intrigue our listeners one you wrote was the biggest weakness in the whole industry is the lack of digital awareness and leadership at the operational level it is understandable but technology adoption just has to speed up in what areas do you think that needs to speed up, speed up peter
1: Hey. Taking what I said before, that I do understand the situation operators are in at the moment, and that's just where we are, and we ha- you have to have a balanced business before you can do this. But it is 2021, it's going to be 2030 before we know it, and we've still got masses of the industry not adapt- adopting any sort of technology at all, and I'm not just talking tours and activities here, I'm talking hotels. I mean, in the last three weeks, I've stayed in Airbnbs, and I've stayed in a couple of hotels, and the check-in process at hotels, and I was in a five-star, and I was in a three-star, And they were still the same check-in processes, which were antiquated from years gone by. So this is nothing to do with technology. The technology exists, the technology is there. Whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, it's not really the point. And in any sector within travel, there is enough technology to give the buyer a choice of various providers. Nobody's got a unique uh, solution that is there, the only one. Therefore, you have to make the assumption if the technology is there, and it's not been adopted, why is that? Therefore, it has to be the leadership of the companies uh, that are not technology-friendly or they don't see a need, uh, which I can't believe they don't see a need because no one's got any staff anymore, so everybody should have a need uh, at the moment. But I'm just amazed at the lack of adoption of simple technology. We're not talking cutting edge complex stuff here. Simple technology that will make operators' lives a bit easier and a bit more a bit more professional and, and give them a better chance in the in the recovery philippa
2: what kind of technology would help you running your tour business uh
3: so we we already have everything uh pretty much set up i mean even though we have we are a, a small uh, business we already have like a rest tech uh, uh no printed tickets anything um and we're on the path now to uh how do I say this to remove a lot of work from us because we're also on the field with uh, just more automatic uh, text messages, for example, uh, automatic, more automatic communication for, uh, for for our guests. In our case, the technology that we need would be really for something that we want to do, which is like I was telling you, the self-guided tours. Uh, um. It, we would have to to talk a bit more of how the city where we operate in Lisbon, how how the city itself still has to change before we can talk about technology for us, the tour operator. Because I mean, we're there's so much that we want to do, but it, it, when those things are not prepared yet, we cannot do them uh, as a, as a especially as a small operator. But I I do agree with Peter that. Uh, there was one thing that uh, that was said in uh, in the event that was that most tour operators in the industry are small tour operators, uh, and it, we run things on our own. Most of us, right? We have someone that helps us, or a small teams, or and I think it's not because there is no money to invest in that now. I think it's because there's always that. Uh, uh, a panic or fear that uh, if you do something that we will miss out on another thing because it's most of the companies are so small that perhaps they don't want to to invest in something new if if something old is working so well do you understand what i'm saying yeah yeah Uh, and 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 we do need, as small operators, we do need to keep up and invest uh, in, and drop the pen and paper and and start doing, because there are a, a ton of things that can make our lives easier. And in the end, we're just doing things like we always did, maybe 10, 15 years ago, and maybe a bit afraid to move forward.
2: You lead nicely on to my my next point. And, and Peter, you said a few moments ago about how you're always interested in learning from other verticals in the travel industry and what we can learn from that and apply to our sector. And channel management is something that's been around a great you know, for many years in the hotel industry. And there was a quote that you gave to our friends at Arrival. Um, you said, uh, a small operator is unlikely to need a channel manager to provide connections. e has the connections that I need and allows me to do the pricing I need to do. So for a small operator, I really don't see the need for a channel manager for other sectors of the industry attractions and high volume i would be using a channel manager john what's your verdict on that agree or disagree with peter
0: i i guess it depends on the context i, I think you know obviously uh, you know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna criticize peter for saying what he he thinks about his own business and what he needs or doesn't need um but i've certainly spoken to quite a few operators you know the last couple of months and I wouldn't say it's just about the size of the operator and 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 what they need or how they might need tra- channel management. So I think you know we've seen a lot of operators, unfortunately, they've had to kind of lose staff and do a lot more with less. And as they kind of grow and try and bring back some 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 business from from elsewhere and new channels, you can be connected to you know a number of channels and just not have the ability to manage those effectively. One thing is the the connectivity so one thing is uh, i can connect to a to a third party online travel agency or another reseller and sell tours that way that's fine but can i actually manage those channels effectively you know i see lots of smaller operators who are thinking as they come out of the pandemic about i need to start developing a strategy for yield and distribution so does it make sense for me for example that i have these otas that can sell any tool they like any of my tools they like at any time or would i prefer that they actually uh you know i'm happy for them to bring me international business or i'm happy for them to bring me business that's more than a month out but closer in i'd rather push my own direct channels or i'd rather you know sell domestically directly and i think the ability to actually manage the channels, there's a clue in the name, I guess, um, I think is increasingly important for people, even in irrespective of size. It's just really about how, how do you want to control your business? And I think that allows you to, that element of control. Um, but, you know, clearly, clearly, you know, other people run their business their own way. And that's That's absolutely fine.
2: Philippa, so for yourself, how much time does it take for you to work with all your different resellers and all the different channels that you sell through?
3: What do you mean? How much time? I don't-
2: so when you work with all the different OTAs and, and resellers, etc., how much time does that take? You were just saying, you know, you're a small operator. You've got to do everything right from hiring and training tour guides to dealing with customers mm-hmm. to selling your tours. Are you indeed working with different resellers and OTAs to sell we your are. tours?
3: Yes, we are. We work mostly with writer and TripAdvisor. Uh, uh, we used to work with Get Your Guide in the past, but we no longer do that. Uh, we have one tour that is our bestseller tour that sells very well in Lisbon on Viator and TripAdvisor. Um, And like I was saying, I mean, everything is pretty much automatic. It does take a bit of time. uh, For example, if we have like a pickup included or something in the tour, uh, but for the most part, it's it's pretty straightforward. We also have uh, uh, some of our tours listed on Expedia, but... It doesn't it doesn't bring a, a, a lot of business in our case, at least.
0: And I, I guess the other challenge Shane, is also around you know the the non the all, offline channels, if you like. Because I know a lot of operators work with you know coach tours um, or people that sell their tours that are that are offline, and that's you know another layer of of complexity you often need to manage. So I think it just also depends on the on the channel mix to a certain extent.
2: Peter, how much time does it take you to work with all your resellers and OTA partners?
1: In a normal year, so up until two thousand nineteen, not a lot of time. A lot of time to set up, a lot of time to get it right, because you have to invest the time to get it right. But once it's set up and running, not a lot of time. During the pandemic, difficult, really difficult. A lot of time, a lot of th- not the OTA's fault, not the distributor's fault, just because there was so more, many more things to juggle as an operator: regulations, getting open, getting shut, getting COVID cases on a weekly basis. Contact tracing, a whole host of stuff that OTAs couldn't possibly grasp was happening. That meant your management of your products going out in distribution was challenging, to say the least. Mm -hmm. To the point I got, I just shut down my distribution. Uh, It was just too challenging. We're just going to upset customers uh, because the communication become went from always been important, and I'm always been a big communicator in business, you're going to do better in business if you communicate with your customers better in the way that they want to communicate. But when you're working through any reseller, that communication is damaged. That's just a fact. It's like whatever system they've got, whatever way they've got a set up for you to communicate, it's going through another layer. Therefore, the communication is not as good. Now, during the chaos of covid you needed to be able to communicate instantly, quickly, because things were changing so quick, not on a daily basis, on an hourly basis. And and that just made the, the whole thing of working with OTAs during the pandemic, just not worth the effort for me, as far as I was concerned.
3: Yeah, I think if I may just add, I think it takes more time now in the past months, just because of the fact that at least I noticed that, that customers want to know more and they they communicate more now and they they ask more questions previous to the tour or the activity than they did in the past
2: yeah that was another one of your your takeaways actually peter was uh, you said we may just be eventually realizing it's not all about price the customer journey has altered and other factors rate highly in decisions what other factors are we seeing rate higher
1: flexibility was number one Number one, by a long, long, long way. It's like, if we book, what's going to happen when it goes wrong? Because people were expecting it to go wrong because they'd had restaurants cancelled, hotels cancelled. People in the group had got COVID. So people were ex- were experienced of having a chaotic environment around them. Therefore, the flexibility in the booking outstripped anything else. Certainly, and that was my experience. Booked. Are you flexible enough to take this booking and give us the money back if it all goes, all goes pear-shaped or let us change dates or let us day de- XYZ. So flexibility was number one. Price got shoved right down. We kept tweaking prices, tweaking prices, tweaking prices, always up, 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 up. Uh, And it never seemed to hit a barrier. We just kept uh, filling price. We We weren't doing dynamic pricing by any means. We don't have the technology available to do that. But we were manually dynamic pricing on a daily basis, just giving out whatever price we thought we would do on that day, depending on the booking volumes and the year, just to see what the market would take. Uh, and the market did not seem to be reacting on price. and Obviously, that's a bubble. That's not going to happen again next year, I don't think. But I do think price has got shoved down the priority list of the customer. Flexibility and trust and communication in the customer's mind is high now because, and I've been traveling for the last couple of weeks, it still isn't easy. And we're not back to jumping on and off planes in an easy way. There's a lot of hoops you've got to jump through. There's a lot of paperwork you've got to fill in quite stressful and we, we're we in the travel industry, we know what we're doing, therefore, I, I just see this flexibility, trust, communication still being really high in customers' priorities going forward. Now, all of this is a huge opportunity for small operators because if you can get your communication channels open and you can build your trust and you can be flexible with your customer bases, you are going to earn a higher margin because the customers are willing to pay a higher margin in this environment. And if, if you're brave enough to step out there and increase your price and make sure you've got the service and the product to match them, you're in a position where you can get a better recovery because you're getting out of this dogfight about pricing all the time, which we're going to have to get out anyway, mm-hmm. uh, because it was unsustainable for lots of the industry, the, the price and dogfight they were in. So one of the benefits, if there is benefits from the pandemic, it's allowed us to have a better relationship with our customers, uh, serve our customers better, and you're going to get better reviews, you're going to get better feedback and so it's it's not all doom and gloom because of the pandemic some of this is good stuff.
2: Philippa, what are you seeing uh, or do you agree with Peter that it's not all about price now?
1: I I agree
3: uh, with uh, everything that Peter said. Uh here in in our case we we did not decrease the the value of any of our tours. If something we increased the, the 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 price for the tours because we have more uh, more, even though we have less uh, less customers, we actually have more work now, and it's less people. So we did maintain pretty much the same prices. We did see that uh, in the local market, most of the companies decreased their prices to values that. Uh, sometimes I wonder how is it possible to make uh, any profit with that. Uh, but that was our uh, our main goal was to not um, not touch our prices, and if so, if, if if we touch it, it's it is always to to increase. Um, but yeah, I do agree that uh, uh, we as a small operator, especially small operators that are a little bit more, uh, it, it, it's easier to adapt for us. Um we we can uh, recover from this faster because we have not only have the ability to adapt, but we also have always the will to to reply to customer right away uh, within the next hour or something. instead of uh, receiving 10 emails, maybe we'll get like five or six and we can reply to every single one of them. So we we I think we build better uh, customer relationships because of this. And especially now, uh, in a time where a lot of people are are looking for this. Yeah. They are looking for, uh, I mean, we talk about technology and that people want to get away from people, but the fact and what we see here is that people are craving for human contact and they want to to meet other people in the tours. they want to they want to have dinner with the guides, for example, or something like that. So they and uh, in our case as small operators, I think we can
1: definitely take advantage of this.
2: Was there much discussion around this at TIS about this topic?
1: Yeah, there was. There was some, not a huge amount, but there was some set. There was a lot of discussion about price. Mm -hmm. uh, And most, not all, but most had seemed to have gone the the up price route rather than down. There was some who discounted and just tried to grab whatever availability of volume there was. But the vast majority had took the decision that we have to increase the prices for the simple reason their costs had gone up. And in some cases, quite substantially. And I'm here, I was hearing everything from a few percent up to 20, 25 percent on the cost base has gone up. Now you can't, as an operator, you can't absorb 20%, 25%. If your costs are going up, you're going to have to increase your prices. That's that's just the reality of it. Otherwise, your margins are just gonna get destroyed. So there was a fair bit of discussion around it, discussion around how flexibility and discussion around how the customer journey had altered during most of the thing was. question was, is it going to change going forward? Not what we had. It's like, that's just a period in time. Is it going to change for 2022? Is it going to go back to what it was? Or is it going to stick the way it is at the moment? And and I don't think it'll be one or the other. It'll be somewhere probably in, in the middle. As people get more confident, they'll go back to older ways maybe, but people's habits don't change completely. People are in a habit now Wanting to have better communication, that doesn't disappear. If they've had better communication, you can't stop giving them it going forward. If they've had better flexibility, and you suddenly pull these flexible terms away, you're probably damaging your business rather
0: than enhancing the business. Yeah, I think you're right, Peter. I think I don't know whether it was maybe an attempt at shaking up or disruption, but I thought it was quite interesting when they brought on the CEO of Guru Walks to talk about when we're talking about price and how everyone. Uh, has an added to, to put their prices up, whether the introduction of actually free tours would have benefit for organisations that adopted free tour, free walking tours into their programme as a means to either upselling or cross-selling or getting additional repeat business from that. So I thought that was quite interesting. It didn't seem to go down very well from from what I from what I saw from most of the people in the room, but I don't know if you have a different take on that.
1: Yeah, uh, free tours have never went, went down well in the industry. If you go to any conference and there's a free tour guy, uh, talking about his business, he always gets a hard time. Or Gero always gets a hard time. You've got to mind free tours were a disruptive uh, when they started ooh, 15, 16 years ago. Sandy Mann's, I think, was the first. They were a fairly disruptive entry into the, the industry. Uh, and it was a pure disruptive play that scaled quickly. So I really don't have an issue with uh, free tours. They are what they are, as long as explained to the customer what is expected. That's the only issue I have with them. Does the customer know what they're getting? Because we all know free is not free and a free walking tour with a live guide is certainly not free. It's certainly yeah. not free. Uh, so to me, I didn't speak to many people who were adopting free tours into their mix. I did speak to a lot of people who were adopting self-guided into their mix who 18 months ago, two years ago, wouldn't have even thought of putting self-guided into their mix. But uh, that seemed to be much bigger topic. Can I get new self-guided tours into my business model uh, and allowed to scale back the business uh, using self-guided as well as guided. So that, I was surprised how many people were talking, not on stage, I'm talking about conversations off. I was a bit surprised how many people were going that route, not because I don't like the business model, I think it's a great business model, and I think people should go that route. Uh, I was just surprised how many were adopting it so quickly.
0: Mm. Yeah, it seemed to be a few tech companies kind of pushing pushing technology to help with that, that side of the business as well.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think a lot of operators have got their head around the business model of uh, self-guided tours and how it can complement, it doesn't disrupt your existing business, it can complement your existing business uh, in a great way. And it can. everybody who's a live operator is restricted on scale in some way or other. But when you start going the self-guided route, you really are in a scalable
0: model that can be scaled to whatever you want it to be. Yeah, particularly yeah. as they talked quite a bit about you know, shortage of guides in, in some uh, in some places where people had, you know, clearly not had an income during the pandemic uh, and, and gone on to, to to leave and do other things and slower to come back.
1: The lack of staff came up a lot. Uh what I did notice though was it depended where the operator was, geography wise. So anything US, anything UK, massive loss of staff, massive disruption by no staff, a very negative view going forward if they're going to be able to get the staff back. Greece, Italy, Spain, Portugal didn't hear as much. They seem to have better access to to staff. The Southern European countries had 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 an impact and people had left the industry for sure. But they seem to be much more confident in getting staff back. Whereas UK operators, American operators were very negative about getting staff back.
2: And you go back to your cost basis there, Peter. I think to get guides back, you're going to have to, I know some operators who are paying double what they were you know, pre pandemic yep. just to get guides now. And obviously that's going to be reflected in the price, or it should be. Yeah,
1: no, this, uh, obviously staff demanded more during the pandemic, they deserve more as well. We have limited staff who were having to work lots more hours than they would normally work, some of them seven days a week. Uh, so they needed to be rewarded well, but that, again, has to be reflected in your price and staffing. And there's one of the biggest costs for most small operators, if not the biggest cost, and the price has gone up and it never goes back down again. <laughs> and where we are is where we are now, it's going to stay where it is. Uh, so it comes back to this thing that the industry really needs to address its costs and have confidence in the experiences that we're delivering to get a fair price for the, for those experiences.
2: The other big topic from I could tell from uh, watching from afar was a a panel session on Google things to do. Philippa, for you as a small tour printer, how was that session for you? Did it give you the tools and the knowledge that you needed to navigate that new development with Google or not?
3: It was very interesting, uh, Shane. It was a very interesting panel and I listened very carefully. Uh, But in my opinion, it was uh, an enlightening talk, uh, but we still don't know what, uh, what the future holds. And uh, for us, what we really want as operators is to have uh, direct bookings and not something that confuses uh, the customer. And as for the moment, from at least from what I understand, it's, it's very confusing to, to make a purchase there um so maybe in a few months or maybe in a year or two it will it will be better even for the side of the operator because we already had uh, uh reserve uh, like book tickets or reserve uh, with us and we all know that that's little button led to an OTA and that is not something that we want
2: John, um, full disclosure here, I I work for Redeem as well, though I can say I wasn't at the event. What was your reading of that session? Because I know you've worked quite closely as a company with Google.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've worked uh, quite closely with Google in in a former former role on the hotel side of things, so kind of saw how the product evolved, um, both from an online travel agency perspective and also from a hotel perspective. And, you know, they've always been fairly clear about, their intention and why they're doing things i think it's just taken time for them to evolve and come to a conclusion on what works p- purely through kind of user testing and seeing which which kind of features which placements uh drive the best conversion and the most adoption uh from from customers so i, I anticipate it being exactly the same as here and as, as you know you know redeem is a is a partner with uh, with google things to do so we have you know bi weekly calls with with Google and they kind of walk us through the things that they are that they are planning to do with the big caveats that you know if if they do some testing and it doesn't work out then they would they would they would change change their approach so you know as you know we're we're covered by an NDA so we can't discuss a lot of things publicly but i was a little bit disappointed in the session that perhaps we didn't get that deep dive of where Google are coming from, what they're doing. I think there was some there may have even been some people from Google in the audience so it's, a, it's yeah. a pity that you don't get you know things from the horse's mouth so to speak. Um, you know that said, I mean you, you kind of have to be a bit of a a Google geek, but they do publish blogs and they explain you know what they're going to be doing, why they're doing it, what's driven them to make these decisions and the fact that things will be evolving so they will start. In this form, and then they will evolve the product. So clearly, they've they've made a start with attractions. Uh, I guess that's an easier thing uh, for them to to build, and then they will build out tours um, after that. In in, in a manner of ways that's that's you know yet to be 100% finalised. But uh, I, I thought maybe there could have been um, the challenge with that session for me, and and it sounds like Philippa kind of came away the same. That lack of perhaps authoritative um people discussing the topic just leads to kind of uncertainty and then just speculation which i don't think is particularly helpful so maybe i don't
2: know you had an ota on there right so your tickets on there you had magpie christian watts who else was on that panel can you remember
3: on that panel was tickets and skyline sightseeing and magpie travel travel with uh,
0: christian watts oh the the um the guy from Greece, no?
2: So I was just curious to know who, because I'll tell you where I'm coming from with this, quite a few listeners said, hey, can you run a session on Google things to do on the podcast? And I just said, no, I'm not going to do it. Because from what I can tell, the thing changes every two weeks. So we, we get everybody on. As you just said, John, most people are under NDA. So they can't really talk about what's going on under the bonnet. And then I'm like, well, what's the value of that? And that's my question for these sessions at Arrival. Yeah, they're nice to go and listen to, but when Philippa is coming away saying, well, I still really don't know how I can take advantage of this. um, I question the validity of, of, yeah, they're great talking head discussion things, don't get me wrong, but where's the value? Where's the lessons? Where's the learning? Peter, how did did you see that session?
1: Well, (laughs) I'm sorry with you in this. I didn't attend the session because I thought it was pointless. Because... There wasn't anybody from Google there that was going to tell us anything. So it was only discussions that was going to hear before. Uh, And as anybody who looks at it, within two minutes, you know it's an unmitigated mess at the moment. And that's not criticising Google. That's just the way Google's uh, methods are. They go in fast, they go in hard, and they test, 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 and they will kill it if it doesn't work, or they will build it out if it does work. I think probably, and this is assumption no inside knowledge, I think they've probably been surprised how challenging it is compared with the other sectors of flights and, and, and hotels can, is as blatantly obvious as everybody sees it. A ticket to an attraction is not a ticket to an attraction is not a ticket to attraction. And they haven't got anywhere near tours yet, which you can multiply that by a million. So I'm not actually convinced they're going to nail this. This is incredibly, incredibly complex to nail. They may get it at the simple attraction level, the big theme parks, the big attraction level, they may get it nailed there, but once they drill down into the long tail and find out that trying to do a comparison from one to the other, it's really, really difficult in this industry to do a, a comparison based on price. And if you don't get the right products compared, well, then you're going to lose your supply base because would I put my product up on Google Things to do at the moment? No chance. And I would I would drop my connections to the OTAs to make sure it wasn't there. Because it's just not been compared in the in the correct ways, it's, has been any benefit at the moment is as damaging as well. So, but that's not to say they won't get it right. I hope they do get it right, and I will pay more attention when it starts getting its act together rather than the mess it is at the moment.
2: I also understand there wasn't a great deal of love in the room for Vital Accelerate.
1: There was no love in the room. No <laughs> love was, at all. <laughs> there was zero, and yeah. we know there was zero because whoever was hosting asked for a hands up. And the hands up who were in support of it was zero. (laughs) And the room was full. It was a busy room and they got zero support from from the floor. Uh, I was probably the most supportive voice in the room because I think it's it's straightforward, it's pay for play. I don't really see anything wrong from it. From a validator's business model, I think it's great. From an OTA's perspective, from an operator's business model, I think for certain operators... Uh, who have the right product for that, and who have the right margins, and who have the right scale? I think it's great for them. For a lorry operators, I think it's bad. So it's a bit of it's it's a bit of both. Again, it, this is going to be a good program for a lorry operators, but when I say a lot, that will be a small niche, right product, right margins, right scalability. The long tail, not so good. Small operators are going to get shoved further down. The reason everybody's angry with this is. It's communication and changing of strategy, yet again, from TripAdvisor Viator. People have built it on whatever they said before, quality. You get your quality right, you get your reviews right, and now they're jumping to a pure pay-per-play. But you've got to mind, you're already paying to list your products now. Now you're paying to position your products. So just say what it is. It's a pay-to-play model. And if everybody's open about that, well, you either you either do business with them or you don't. And it's straightforward to me, but I do think a lot of the long-term partners are are not happy with them. And I can, well, I do, I see it on a weekly basis, more and more operators not using that route to market anymore.
2: Do you anticipate the other OTAs following suit?
1: Some of them are on record as saying they will not. Uh, I think some of them are actually seeing it as a competitive advantage to say they will not on the hope that they get some movement uh, from Viator over to them. So some of them are saying they will not, but... You don't know, do you? It's the competitive pressures going forward and how the OTA is going to recover in 2022. They've had a rubbish 2021. So uh, you, you just can't say. To me, it's just the natural evolving of these marketplace models. So I don't actually see anything wrong with it. It's just not great for the operator. But then it comes back to what I've been saying for decades. If your business is built on the back of these companies that you have no input to, you haven't got a business. You know, you're just an Uber driver for tours and activities, so you need to build a direct business and use these guys to support your direct business, not build on the back of them. It.
0: And it's been something that you know OTAs have been doing for hotels for for, for many years. Um, you know, you kind of you see booking. As I remember, I'm old enough to remember booking entering the market with a very low base commission, uh, and then gradually over time, just building that up to the extent where they say that if you want to be on page one, here's your commission. But you know i guess they've been able to show what that demonstrates so if you are on page one you get x so you can kind of weigh out whether you'll get that additional revenue which i guess vital won't be in a position to be able to do that till they till they've got enough data
3: but, but it it happened uh, something similar a couple of years ago with Booking right and trip advisor and everyone was talking that if you pay this and this and you subscribe to all the different uh uh, products of Balkun that you, you will get, you're going to be uh, on top on the top chart on TripAdvisor and at least here in Lisbon it it didn't change so much the positions of the operators so I don't know if it if if they discovered that uh, operators were not not willing to do it or if it didn't work out so maybe would accelerate uh, it will be the same
2: well it would be a nightmare right if the if the poor quality tours were at the top. Of those search results. So I remember, you know, because I'm as old as John, that I was Not at adult. booking.com when they, <laughs> when they brought this in and you had a commission override tool and it was great. The hotels could play around with it, but you could put a hundred percent commission. But if your guest reviews were poor, you didn't pay your bills on time. You didn't have all the copy and the photos. It, it didn't affect where you were. It didn't affect the algorithm then. So I always thought that that was clever it was called the seven c's which i guess is a bit like the ingredients for coca-cola where i might be shot if i share it but there were seven different factors that went into that algo ranking so be interesting to see how that all pans out but again peter like you say you've got to study the other verticals in our industry and other industries as well because this has been happening for some time in in hotels another
1: advantage is new operators what the industry's going to need because a lot of operators are dead and buried now new operators have got a quick way of entering enter the market and they can get a boost initially if they're willing to pay for it Can take some losses as long as they don't get hooked to it. It's a bit like heroin. Again, don't get hooked into it because you need to build a business that is manageable going forward. But it is a way for new operators to, to make an impact quickly.
2: So on Arrival's takeaways, they said they felt that optimism for the future is high. Yet I'm reading the news today. Germany's facing a fourth wave. Netherlands is shutting down. Osher is having lockdowns. I think Belgium's looking at it. What's your reading of this? Is this misplaced optimism? And Peter, I always remember listening to you at an arrival event summer or very early of 2020, and you cautioned all of us and you said, as an industry, we are way too optimistic. And I remember it vividly. I was walking my dogs in the hills of Vermont. And I was like, ah, oh, Peter's talking out of his rear end. We'll be out of this by September. How right you were, my friend. <laughs> well, the, but do do
1: that optimism is bad because the overriding feeling above all else I got leaving Seville was the amount particularly bigger companies and scale companies was we are going to beat 2019 next year that was the overall focus that was the, the theme that was the rah-rah and and if you were the lone voice saying well it's is that really going to happen or the voice that was saying do we actually want that to happen and everybody was looking at you a bit strange. And go back to what I said at the beginning of this call. I do understand balance sheets need to be replaced, repaired. Everybody needs cash. But again, leadership not really appreciating the environment we're in. Anybody who says 2022 is going to be better than 2019, you're just not reading the and the smoke signals coming out of that pandemic well enough because none of us really know as we're we're seeing this winter it can all jump back in. Even if we do get global addressing off the pandemic. You've got mine. Africa's still only got 2% vaccinated. So if you're an African operator, how can anybody say they're going to get the, the, the volumes back? Plus, you're making the assumption that even if we get on top of the pandemic, that the travel volumes will go back when we've still got lots of, I've just said earlier, I'm finding travelling a pain to the extent, I used to jump my plane and go to Prague for a weekend, go to Berlin for the weekend, go to Paris. I will never do that again. As long as all of this jumping through hoops are in, I am not going on a short weekend or a long weekend to any destination. I will do a minimum of five days. If it's short haul and if it's long haul, it'll be a minimum of two weeks because it's just not worth doing all the pain to do it. So I'm not overly convinced, particularly in Europe and the US, international will get back anywhere near. Asia is a completely different discussion because there's a whole different dynamic going on there. And if they do get released, they will bump bump up global volumes massively, but that's an if they get released on, on full. So overall, the numbers are going to go up again. But 2019 numbers next year, I have severe doubts about that. And then that comes into one of the massive conferences, COP26, down the road for me in Glasgow, is do we actually want to get back to 2019 volumes in certain sectors of the the industry? And as, as the travel industry, we keep ignoring this environmental issue. And the environmental issue is 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times larger than the COVID issue. <laughs> We're just shoving it down the road and kicking the can down the road to deal with it when we get told to deal with it, which we will because if we don't deal with it. We will be regulated.
2: John, you've met a lot of operators both at WTM and now at TIS. What are you hearing?
0: Yeah, mixed. Mixed. I mean, in the UK, a lot of operators have been in the UK, uh, like Peter. So, yeah, some of them have had you know pretty decent summer from domestic business um, so they're kind of relieved to to get that and, and build some some cash back into the into the bank account. But I think it is equally very mixed. I mean, I think the guy, uh, David Garcia, who was on the stage from Porto Ventura last last week in Seville was saying that you know this summer he he smashed his twenty nineteen records for Spanish and French market um not so much for the other markets so i think it, it really does just, just depend on whether it's going to stay local whether it's going to get regional whether they're going to be locked up for winter and open for summer um so but 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 i think you know having some some business back having some mobility is is, is certainly better than nothing but yeah I, I agree peter i think it's it's going to be a stretch before things get back um, to to 2019, there was if, if we want them, but but I think yeah, maybe the, the dynamic will change. So you know there will be more there will be more regional, there will be more domestic, um, and, and I think that's you know that's something that we also need to build on.
1: It's a very simple. and I try to get all operators to do this, it's quite simple. Is it's not people like us giving opinions. It's just pull down the flight data and <laughs> how many flights are departing and landing compared to 2019, and what's the fill rate of the flights. And at the moment, we're nowhere near getting back. There is certain bubbles within the world that's, that has bounced back. But if those flights are not happening or the fill rate of them flights is not what it was before, well, then your destination has a lot less people in it. It's as simple as that. And all that data is public. It's all on the web. You can pull it off. And, and we're just a million miles away yet. So for that to bounce back in capacity-wise by 2022, I just, I just don't see how. And
3: not only that, because uh, we don't have a lot of the infrastructures and we don't have a lot of the staff available, or at least the qualified staff to work in our industry. So I don't think we will be, I I also don't think we need to get back to the levels of 2019, but I also don't think we're going to be in 2022, nowhere near 2019, most of the places at least.
2: So as we wrap up this conversation, I can't believe it's, we're almost an hour in here. Uh, Philippa, what are you going to do differently in your business as a result of attending TIS in Seville?
3: Well, it, it was good for me to attend because uh, uh, sometimes we're so closed in our little niche that, uh, that we need to hear other people's opinion and how they manage businesses um, and definitely I, I am going to apply uh, some advices that were given uh, at the TIS uh, in the near future, because for now, like I was saying, we're st- we still have very limited capacity, so we have to work with uh, with what we have. Uh, but yeah, definitely learned a lot that uh, 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 will make me able to change a little bit of the mindset and focus more. Um, also in, in trying to help and organize the destination itself and to make me able to work the products that I have in this destination. That was one of the things that I learned uh, was that uh, as tour operators, we also have to to make more for the destinations if we want to uh, be able to work in a destination. And I say this because I I have the example. My closest example is Lisbon, and Lisbon is growing a lot uh, in the past years. I mean, we've been having a boom in tourism. Even in the past months, it was definitely a boom and no one was expecting it. And the city is not prepared for that. And as operators, most of the times we just focus on our daily things and we don't don't complain about the the struggles that we have and perhaps if we if we work more with uh, with other types of associations uh, that would be will be better for everyone yeah that that is definitely one of the things that I'm going to, going to try to do uh, and at least here uh, maybe it will make a difference yeah
2: so so let me ask you this question I'm going to put you on the spot here so obviously you know resources, are scarce for us right now you've spent a lot of money going to seville registering flights hotels etc is that an event that you would go to in the future based on your experience of this month
3: um i wouldn't no i'm completely straightforward i wouldn't uh like I said, I mean, I think these events are important to get to know other people and listen to different mindsets. Uh, but it was an expensive event. In fact, I was able to go because of the arrival uh, opportunity because they were, uh, through their subscription, I was able to attend the event for free. But nonetheless, after a year and a half of pandemic, uh, the, the trip itself, the hotel, everything that is involved, it was it was expensive. But I always see this as a a learning opportunity. Uh, I will not be attending uh, uh, next year, Uh, definitely, yeah.
2: Well, thank you for your honesty. I think it's good for other operators to hear your feedback. Are you planning on going to arrival in Berlin next year?
3: I am, definitely, yes, yeah. Uh, I was able to to meet another tourpreneur uh, in the, in tea, during tees and uh, we were talking about it. And definitely, I think that that makes more sense from, from my point of view and from where I stand. Uh, it makes more sense to go uh, next year, yeah.
2: Fantastic. John, how about you? What did you learn or what are you going to do differently as a result of attending Seville?
0: Yeah, I mean, I thought it was, uh, like everyone, great great to get back to face-to-face. I think there's no substitute, certainly when it's, you know, from a networking perspective. Um, and, you know, there was a, there were a good mix of operators, attractions, OTAs, tech companies at the place. And I also found it very accessible. I think it was small enough to be accessible. So, you know, you could have a beer with Luke from Tickets or, you know, speak to, to Douglas and Bruce from Arrival. Um, and, and I think that was great, actually, because a lot of other conferences, you just don't get anywhere near... Anybody that's 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 uh, you know exec level, they're just kind of whisked off or, or surrounded by an army of you know ex- executive assistants. So that was that was great. Um, I wouldn't have gone there for the three days. I think you know I would prefer to go for a, a longer conference. Um, and I and I, whilst I you know, met a lot of great people, I think if if I'm kind of being tasked with what's the ROI on attending this conference. I think some kind of structured is, is is not that exciting, but some kind of structured meeting would really be more effective because I think you just need to plow in a number of meetings, and it's difficult, especially everyone's wearing masks. It's difficult to say, oh, there's stone, so because you, d- you just don't know. Um, so I think that would be, yeah, you know, my take. But I'm definitely looking forward to to hopefully going to arrival in uh, in San Diego, if not Berlin, certainly. I think it's, uh, you know, very very valuable. Uh, hopefully good value for money.
2: Peter, you're a veteran of these events and conferences.
1: Yeah, I'll decide whether I'll go back or not later, not now, because uh, it will be how is the year going to pan out, what connections, what other conferences we are, is the reason to go there again to meet up, see what's happening. So if it's in November next year, October, November next year, I'll probably be making that decision late August, early September. Uh, so it's definitely a wait and see. What has it inspired me to do differently this winter? There isn't enough innovation going on, so i am going to put some money and effort when we're, uh, say, just talking, doing. So I'm going to spend the winter looking at DAOs, which is decentralized autonomous organizations uh, happening across all sectors, not just travel and tourism, but uh, an interest in Web3 development that could disrupt everything that we take as normal at the moment so i'm about to go three to four months deep over the winter period on uh, innovation in the travel space to see if we can make something happen
2: fantastic it would be uh, interesting to hear more but i know nothing about that by the way so i a rabbit hole I'd, I'd love in to fact it's fifty
1: six thousand rabbit holes
2: <laughs> <laughs> marvelous well, well thank you all for joining us today on tourpreneur philippa where can people find out more about you online
3: uh, so you can find about us on uh, Portuguese for a day We're also on all of our, all our social media with the same name Portuguese for a day. Uh, yeah. We have a few YouTube videos where you can also see my face <laughs> and we're in Lisbon every day, 365 days. So come visit us if, if you want. Yeah.
2: Excellent. Thank you very much. Obrigado.
3: De nada.
2: <laughs> John, where can people find out more about your company online?
0: Uh, We're on LinkedIn. We've got a website, www.redeem.com. If you want to find more about any of the products that we have or the solutions that we're offering, it would be great to hear from you.
2: And Peter, how about yourself? Where's the best place to go for all your musings online?
1: LinkedIn's by far the best place. I use it as my database, a business, to business connection. So LinkedIn, definitely, or petersign.com if you want to see what I'm up to these days. But LinkedIn by far, if you want to communicate, just message me on linkedin.com and I will answer
2: Fantastic. And I will add all of those links on today's show notes, which you can find at tourpreneur.com forward slash 164. Thank you everyone for joining. And uh, more importantly, thank you to all the listeners. I hope you got a lot out of today's show. And uh, if there's a guest that you want to hear on tourpreneur or a topic that you want to hear us discuss, drop me a line at shane at tourpreneur.com.
0: Thanks for listening to the Torpreneur podcast. Be sure to visit torpreneur.com to join the conversation and access the show notes, including links to the resources mentioned on today's episode. This is Torpreneur.